0: Welcome to episode six of Behind the White Coat. Uh, glad to have you back. Uh, I'm a, one of your hosts, uh, Dr. Ryan Sheehy, here, just Ryan, or some people call me Shihi. Uh, I just got from a meeting where they were like, "Hey, Shihi," and that's what the me- thats what they called me. Uh, but over there we have our other lovely man. Hey, how y'all doing today? Well, beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's Jason over there. Yeah. Hey, how you doing, Shihi? Um, um, <laughs> I is it Ryan. I don't know. It's whatever you want to call me. I like curly haired guy. <laughs> 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 and so we're we're uh, we're. I guess, man, I'm uh, lacking words here. We, we are honored. Did to you have sleep? I, I tried to sleep, but honestly, I stayed up last night and watched or the beach. Or camp. is it but because
1: who we have in the building with us today?
0: I think I'm just nervous to introduce our well, audience. Awesome we got guys. rock stars in the <laughs> yeah, building. Yeah, we have today. rock stars. Okay, so over here, we've got our two guests. We've got uh, Dr. Larry Seekers, and we have student Dr. Zach Rose Renau. no, Renault. No, Renault. Sorry. See, look, I'm already making mistakes, but hey. That's what this is all about.
2: I'll forgive you for one time.
0: Okay. Well, if I do it again, you can slap me. Okay. Okay. Um, so if you Thou guys. should not
1: slap my co host? <laughs> uh,
0: well, you could if you wanted to. Um, I give you permission.
1: Absolutely not.
0: I don't give you permission. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, why don't you guys just take a couple seconds to introduce yourselves?
3: Zach, please go first.
2: Sure. Uh, so I'm student doctor Zach Rose Renault. I just finished. Um, or I finishing my anatomy fellowship here at Kansas City University of Medicine and Bioscience, which means I've completed my first two years of medical school and I take a year to do uh, research and teach in gross anatomy for the school. Um, And that's kind of given me the opportunity to look into a bunch of things, one of which being the topic we'll talk
3: about today. Cool. And my name is Dr. Larry Seegers. I am uh, the interim chair of basic sciences here at Kansas City University. So, uh, I have the physiology, pharmacology, histology, biochemistry, molecular cell biology team uh, within the group. Uh, and then I'm also uh, assistant dean of the College of Biosciences and teach within both the graduate school and the medical school. And I'm thrilled to be here today.
0: Cool.
1: This is code for he's a boss.
3: <laughs> he is a boss.
0: Boss, yeah. boss. He's bosses. a boss. A boss, boss. <laughs> <laughs> That seems more important, I think. That's me trying to be gangster, which is really
1: not yeah, gangster. it didn't work out
0: well for no. you. Because remember, I don't know it what it lit means. Yeah. Yeah, so look, anyway. It, so it
1: didn't work out well for you. And you, you don't eat grits.
0: Whatever, let's not talk about grits. <laughs> no more grits. Cheesy
2: grits are the best. <laughs> Ooh! <So>, <laughs> Cheesy grits are good. Look,
0: no more cans
2: of
3: those worms. <laughs> let's not do any more of those worms, okay? <laughs>
2: hey,
3: hey, Dr. Siggers, do you eat grits? I do not. The wife does, though. I do oh, not. Oh. Ryan,
1: have you noticed a pattern here that the everybody that comes on the show is familiar with grits and somebody in their household eats them, except your household. Well, maybe on one of these subsequent
0: episodes, I will. You you can bring me a bowl of grits and I will try them. It'll be like green eggs and ham, and I'll tell you whether I like them.
1: Uh, I wouldn't quite grits the green eggs and ham. Well, whatever.
0: Anyway, so could you guys tell us a little bit more about yourself, so the audience kind of gets to know, uh, kind of where, how you got where you were. Re- where you are today, and kind of some of your motivations behind what you're doing.
2: Yeah, sure. This um, I'll start again. I um, see. Started medical school, you know, a little over two years ago, and always was interested in exercise and physiology and the body and health. Um, and it's super cliche, I know, but just helping other people and learning. And so, uh, medicine was just an, a great route for me to combine all of those options. Um, I'm a non-traditional student, so I have a lot of experience outside of uh, just school and medicine uh, before I came into med school, which has helped me a lot with both understanding the importance and uh, the maturity level that it takes to get through some a program like this. That's awesome.
3: Larry? So, uh, I grew up always thinking I wanted to be an anesthesiologist. Oh. I have no idea why, but I always just, when people would ask, that's what I've said. Uh, once I got into college, uh, became familiar with the profession of pharmacy, had a cousin who was in pharmacy school and sort of just instantly gravitated to uh, broader medication use in healthcare. Uh, got in pharmacy school, went to pharmacy school, uh, and then decided to go back to grad school and get more educated. Uh, and so I got my doctorate in pharmacy, um, moved into teaching uh, for a trial experiment Uh, initially in my career and fell in love with it and have been teaching uh, for several decades now have taught pharmacy school I have taught uh, medical residents on a family medicine residency program and have taught uh, medical students here at KCU Uh, both clinical uh, teaching uh, on rounds in the hospital and in classroom and uh, would not think of doing anything else in my life Uh, mid-career I wanted to be able to do research Uh, and wanted uh, access and knowledge how to do research on larger populations than a small clinic uh, might provide me. Um, At the time, was a part of a residency program, and they had several hundred patients in in the practice, but it seemed very small uh, sample size-wise. So I went back to grad school and got a doctorate in epidemiology and public health uh, and gained those knowledge elements to do research using large databases from the National Center for Health Statistics, or the CDC, in Population Health. That's awesome. Hence why he's the BAUSE.
1: So, Larry, how many degrees do you have? Because I'm looking at your name, and every time I look at your name, I I equate it to, like, reading the alphabet. I think the only letter I'm missing up there is Z.
3: Z and maybe a Q. And maybe a Q. Yeah. Uh, So only three degrees. I have a bachelor's in pharmacy, a doctorate in pharmacy, and a doctorate in public health.
2: Only Only three degrees. degrees. (laughs) Only (laughs) Only. three degrees. Only three. Only Two th- of them are doctorates.
3: Yeah. <laughs> wow. But the other initials are fellowships or board certifications uh, or designations. So alphabet soup.
1: So we should put some respect on his boss-like mentality. <laughs> He's a certified boss.
0: Yeah, that qualified. Yeah, qualified, qualified. certified. Well, so for today's podcast, we're mainly going to be focused on the topic of medical marijuana, uh, and this is a topic that uh, Zach has has. Uh, done some research on and has become kind of an interest of his. Uh, And I felt like it was really relevant uh, in today's uh, environment and political landscape that we start to talk about this topic. Uh, And so I guess kind of some of the first questions I want to ask, Zach, about medical marijuana is could you kind of just give us a little bit of a background on kind of scientifically or pharmacologically maybe how, how this drug is working?
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think it's important to understand at least a little bit of how it works before you uh, separate it out into its components. So, um, marijuana has hundreds of different chemicals that are inside of it and part of it. And uh, the two you hear about most often are THC and CBD. THC being tetrahydrocannabinol, and CBD being cannabidiol or cannabidiol. Mm-hmm um and so those are the two components that you hear of all the time and you hear people selling cbd oil and medical marijuana that sort of stuff um so uh in the body there are uh, chemicals called endocannabinoids and the body just makes those and they bind to these two receptors cb1 and cb2 um so these marijuana thc and cbd also have a reaction at those same receptors and that's going to control different um, neuronal signals through the body. So as you um, take the marijuana, the THC, that's usually going to bind to CB1 and 2, whereas CBD um, will, will also bind to CB1 a little bit, but it actually inhibits its effects, um, which allows them to kind of have opposite roles in the body. That's
0: good. So you, you mentioned medical marijuana, and, and, th- and that's the thing I see on billboards as I drive down I-70 into work is come to my medical marijuana shop. Um, So what are they actually selling there?
2: So typically at the medical marijuana shops, you're getting uh, what they call medical grade, um, like the plant form of marijuana that you could smoke or inhale. So that's at the medical marijuana shop, whereas if you go to a CBD oil shop, that's going to be an oil or a liquid or some sort of drop that you could put into food or something like that.
0: Okay, uh, and then kind of what I've found is that there are actually some FDA-approved drugs that are derivatives, perhaps, or take advantage of th- of THC or CBD's actions. Could you talk a little bit about those drugs?
2: Yeah, sure. So, and that's kind of where it gets interesting and confusing is that um, there's currently three approved FDA drugs that are uh, two of which are cannabis derivatives, and one is specifically derived from the cannabis plant. Um, but that's medical marijuana, the, the herb that you would smoke is not FDA approved. Okay. So that's the difference there. These three drugs are, com- are not actual you know plant that you would smoke. They're derivatives of the compounds in them, THC and CBD mostly that are FDA-approved, that medical m- marijuana itself is not. So you're not
0: going to find those drugs at a medical marijuana shop?
2: Correct. Okay. Yeah, those drugs you'd have to get prescribed from a physician.
0: So uh, you were talking about that there's this... you got medical marijuana and it's this mix of all these chemicals and it's used for these things, and I'm doing air quotes. Um, it it kind of seems to be a l- tiny bit controversial because there's it's not really a- approved in all states, and in fact it's something that on the national level isn't even legal, that you get arrested for it. You got the DEA coming in, uh, putting you in jail for it. Uh, but there are some states where it's actually legal. Um, can you talk some about some of these controversies that kind of are swirling right now around medical marijuana?
2: Yeah, it's it's a really uh, kind of a blurry line there because, like you said, on the national level, the federal government has not approved medical marijuana. Um, but the states have the individual um, opportunity to legalize it, and some states have done that for medical purposes and some for just recreational purposes. So uh, for, for our talk, talking about the medical purposes of, of marijuana, I think what a lot of these states are doing is looking at some of the research, but then also seeing how patients react to being on medical marijuana if they've been prescribed it by a doctor, um, and they get their anecdotal evidence of saying, oh yeah, I smoked that, that marijuana and it took my cancer pain away. Um, and s- to somebody on a, a legislative board, they're like, that's great. That's awesome, let's, let's try that out. But unfortunately, a lot of what they've approved it for isn't supported by research or stuff that it's not approved
3: for is supported by research. So, so there's this disconnect between the two. And I think one of the, the challenges for the research literature has been that the uh, u.s government has designated marijuana um, a schedule one drug so no purposeful medical indication uh, the risk of abuse being off the scale Um, and they've limited its access to researchers to look at efficacy and side effects and mechanisms so uh, part of the limitations in the literature has really been the access to the compound and its availability. And for, for many years, actually there was just, I think one U.S. institution that sort of- University re- of Mississippi, Mississippi, the Grove. That, that, yeah. that had the, the, the stash, if you will, uh, that researchers could access. And so that was even limited. Um, so I, I think it, there is a dichotomy that from a federal government standpoint, it is illegal. It's a schedule one. There's no FDA approved indication for it but yet we've got synthetic versions of some of the compounds in it that are FDA approved um, in which we do have sound evidence that it is useful for nausea and vomiting in chemotherapy or cachexia with wasting syndromes, patients with um, HIV or other debilitating wasting syndromes. Um, And I think what you see across the US is more states taking their own um, decision-making and health in their own hands. Uh, And you see sort of, especially with the past couple of administrations, uh, a fairly cognizant separation um, where uh, the attorneys general um, has guided the Justice Department and and sort of guiding the the legal arm of the U.S. government to allow states to sort of self-regulate and self-control. in face of the existing law that uh, it it shouldn't shouldn't be happening. Um, I think, um, in fact, uh, a few years ago there was, uh, in one of the budget acts, uh, budget bills of the US government, uh, there was um, an addendum or a, a supplemental act added to it that actually directed that the federal government could not withhold funds from states that were legalizing medical marijuana or even recreational so sort of a side way to say that the the federal government shouldn't be involved in states rights um and if they tried to use the financial means to sort of limit their actions that that wasn't approved and even the current administration in the latest uh budget reconciliation act that that addendum that supplement is still in effect uh such that the fd uh, that the u.s government can't Um, withhold funds uh, for states uh, that have medical or recreational marijuana.
1: So, Larry, let me ask you this question. What is taking so long? Because marijuana has been around for centuries, centuries.
3: Many, many centuries. Many,
1: many centuries. And no matter which population we were to ask, there has always been this theory that it has a medicinal purpose. What has taken us so long to get to this point now of where states are actually starting to see the medicinal benefit of using marijuana?
3: I think uh, just an evolution of time and the change of people and perceptions um, and understanding of risks and sort of a changing of mentality of wanting to take control of one's own health. Um, and I also think that the larger the population gets and the more people use it recreationally and the more, as Zach said, uh, appropriately, as more anecdotal evidence comes from direct consumers that, Hey, I got benefit. You should try it. And more and more, um, try it on the side from, even if illegal and, and finding benefit. I think that that message of potential benefit is growing. Um, and, um, I think with time, there has been greater expenditures put toward small uh, studies, um, looking at its effects. I mean, it's been looked at uh, in small to larger studies, seizures, various pain syndromes, multiple sclerosis. I mean, so I think it's just the tincture of time, a growing population, and a growing eagerness for humanity to sort of take more control and interest. It's sort of different, but analogous to the movement of the U.S. with alcohol and and that concept of where at times it it wasn't legal and not appropriate, and then we've moved to where it's readily accessible. I think it's just that evolution over time.
2: I I think along with that, to answer your question, Dr. Walker, is the assignment as a schedule one drug automatically gives it a connotation that it's terrible for you, right. There's no absolutely no benefit for that for you to have that whatsoever in any way, shape or form. Um, and whereas if we, if you're conducting research just hypothetically on a blood pressure medication, um, and you decide you want to create this new medication from a, a synthetic compounds that you create, there's no prehistoric evidence against that, that it's been predetermined as something that's terrible to you. So you can go and create, Uh, You know go to the 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 FDA and apply for uh, the application to create a new drug and Nobody's looking at it like oh my god. This is a schedule one drug. We can't do this Um, So I think a huge part is that classification um, in which I find interesting because uh, in 2016 the DEA um, There was actually a petition to change marijuana from a schedule one to a schedule two and the DEA denied that petition Citing cannabis has no currently accepted medical use in treatment in the United States Which to me was really interesting because in 1985 they approved Dronabinol Mm -hmm. and in 2006 they approved nabilone, which are both synthetic forms of THC That are FDA approved for treatment Um, and so to me, it's almost like a contradictory statement um, and kind of interesting but again, I think that connotation, that negative connotation that it has is a huge hindrance to research.
3: Well, and I think with the new uh, liquid CBD uh, compound out for um, rare pediatric seizures, I think mm-hmm. that sort of challenges that mindset of what a Schedule One drug is, that it's highly abused um, and doesn't have... Um, medical uses I think that second half is eroding away Mm -hmm. and although in 2016 they sort of reaffirmed its schedule one status I think as more evidence comes out it's harder and harder to substantiate that part of what designates something as a schedule one that there clearly is evidence that it has medical uses and benefit Mm -hmm. Um, I think where we separate um, this is the, the multitude of compounds and chemicals and byproducts from the marijuana plant that one might consume and more of the um, medical marijuana and the compounds that its ingredients and byproducts are more understood uh, as why they're included. Um, less likely to have THC in it, more CBD in it. Um, A lot less uh, terpenes or any, Uh, just a lot of that sort of um, taking the raw plant uh, and thinking of that raw plant as not having medical uses, but yet the compounds within them having direct clinical medical benefit. I think over time as we get more understanding of what those ingredients are and the compounds are uh, and how they can be useful when isolated, that, that, that. Schedule 1 becomes less and less defensible over time, I think.
2: I agree, especially you mentioned that um, CBD oil that just got approved for childhood seizures. That's, while I said, dronabinol and nabilone are FDA-approved synthetic versions of THC. Epidiolex, which is what you were talking about, is actually derived from the plant. So that's the first drug FDA-approved that comes directly from the cannabis plant, which, again, is a step in the direction of saying these components of this plant can be beneficial for medical purposes. So
1: I'm going to ask a million-dollar question, but it's a loaded question all at the same time. And I'm going to let Zach answer the question first, because Zach can get off with answering the question without losing his job. <laughs> <laughs> Should we be teaching about medicinal marijuana in medical schools? Should we be teaching from a non-biased, non-political standpoint and teaching on the uses, the the history, everything that we're describing here is something that I never got in school, right. but I never went to medical school either. But I went to grad school, which we learned about the brain. We didn't learn about you know medical marijuana and how it interacts with the endocannabinoid system. So you, Zach, as a student that can't be fired, do you think that it has some relevance, not just in our curriculum, but in the medical education curriculum as a whole?
2: So what got me so interested in this is that in my first two years, there was a teeny bit of information just about endocannabinoids and how they work physiologically. But if you go outside of school, I can't tell you how many of my friends and family members are asking about it because it's so big in the media and in the world right now. Um, and I had I had no answer for them. I had no idea. I didn't really know what to tell them, what the research actually stated. So to answer your question, I think if we keep it as non-biased and research focused as possible without the anecdotal evidence, um, just say this is what the research says that it can be beneficial for. These are the FDA approved drugs that um, you can use and what they're approved for and what does medical marijuana even mean? Because it is legalized at the state level in many states, in Missouri just approved it, you know, the state we're in right now. So I think it's good for future physicians to have that knowledge, to be able to hold the conversation and answer people's
3: questions and not necessarily guide them on whether or not this is good or bad. I absolutely think that we should. I think our challenge in medical education is we have students for two intense years And trying to fit within that curriculum everything they need to know to be wise and educated and prepared physicians i also think the answer is yes because all of the physiological effects that are generated from um marijuana whether it be a new user who's trying it because they've visited a state where it's available or they've been visited by friends from states where it's available Um, and they have a physiological reaction that causes them to go to the emergency room, or they are a frequent multiple user, um, and they've had tolerance and they've increased the dose such then they develop psychoses. I think all these physiological variants of patient presentation that uh, physicians are gonna see in their practice and in the emergency room, we have to prepare our students to recognize that some of those physiological symptoms could be from marijuana use, and so for not educating them in some respects on the compounds and their physiological aspects, uh, both over-treatment, under-treatment benefits and, and risks, um, we're not fully preparing them. Uh, the challenge is, again, is fitting all that information in an already packed curriculum, but I think at least the introduction of the concept is necessary. I mean. Change this to any other um, frequently acquired concept in society. Would we not educate our patients about alcoholism or alcohol abuse, or alcohol withdrawal presentation? Opioids. Uh, opioids, um, and so I, I think the answer is clearly an unequivocal yes. And we and we have a a lot of discussion about
2: other the other Schedule One drugs and other illegal substances as well, and how to treat them. If you see them come into the emergency room or into the clinic, and what to look for in those symptoms physiologically, how they affect the body, so you know what medications to reverse those symptoms. So I don't see why marijuana should be any different.
3: Well, and, and we, you know we're we're moving toward a, a patient-based curriculum, and there are so many exemplified cases uh, in the cardiovascular section with tachycardia. Well, that could be tachycardia of ill-defined uh, etiology, or it could be from Overuse of some substance, including marijuana, uh, in the um, psych- psychiatry section, patient could present with psychosis. That could be medication compound induced. Uh, it could be biochem. I mean, so so the presentations of all the physiological effects of marijuana fit into our systems-based curriculum, and more specifically, the patient presentation modeling um, that. Um, and those are cases that we're already talking about within our curriculum. The arrhythmias, the tachycardias, the hypotension, the hypertension, the stroke like symptoms, the psychoses, uh, the depression. Um, and throwing in a little exogenous marijuana use in the patient scenario would be easily done, at which point would be your introduction of a touch point to give them a fact of marijuana in actually several sections, such that over a two year period, they're certainly more educated and, and more informed to go out into the real world.
1: she your thoughts. You've been quiet over there, man.
3: <laughs> well,
0: I've been thinking. Uh, so I just drove back from Oklahoma, um, and I was around Oklahoma City, Stillwater area driving along the interstates between Oklahoma City and Joplin and then north of Kansas City. And I can't tell you how many billboards I drove past that were about medical marijuana, um, billboards about apps on where to find medical marijuana, where to find the shops, Uh, I I agree that it needs to be something that students are at least aware of, because um, they're going to get asked. Uh, It's it's probably the most, uh, I guess, famous or infamous drug at the moment in the media, Um, maybe besides um, some of the others. But I... Me- medical marijuana tends to come up a whole lot, and so I, I completely agree that it should be something that's covered um, in, in, in medical curriculum. So I have another kind of, I guess, hard question. I guess we're hard questions here, hard knocks <laughs> of behind the white coat. But, uh, And this is kind of a more of a thinking in the future kind of question, but uh, if you were to gaze into a crystal ball, if you had one, uh, you can just go steal it from Jason's office. He's got one. He's got one of those snow globe ones, and you shake it up um so if if you were to shake up that that um that glass ball uh do you think that marijuana will become legalized nationwide in the united states and if you do um when do you think it'll happen
2: i do think it will but i think it's gonna be at least 25 years before federally it gets approved
0: and, and, and we're talking like like it's just like alcohol or, or tobacco.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a, a quite a while before it actually gets federally approved across the board. I think more and more states will start approving it um, for medicinal and recreational purposes. But it, it's just for the federal government, in my opinion, to jump on board to legalize it, they're going to want more actual research behind it to support that decision. And because it's so difficult to acquire the
3: product and the plant to do the research, it's just, it's gonna take a long time. Yeah. I think the day will come. I don't know if it'll be in my lifetime. Um, I'm certainly old, but m- maybe it will. But I, I think there are a lot of economic drivers into the decision. I think there, that's a, some of the defense that the states have used is that if regulated and taxed, um, it, it can be controlled but available. Um, I, I think, uh, I don't, I don't know in my lifetime if it'll be federally approved in terms of recreational, like alcohol and tobacco. I certainly hope that for the public health, that medical marijuana, when steeped in hard science and research and evidence, uh, that it's likely from a medical prescribable indication, approved indication stance, that medical marijuana um, either in oil, injectable, or other formulations uh, will be available uh, across the U.S. If it, Even if states have to individually, on a one-by-one basis, approve it, I think we're, we're already over half of the U.S. and the territorial areas uh, that have medical marijuana available to its residents. I think that is what um, will spread across the U.S., whether It'll be federally supported uh, and approved in, in my lifetime. I'm not sure. But
0: so do you feel like it's more likely to for it to move from Schedule 1 to Schedule 2? Because to me, having medical marijuana or having marijuana just in general as Schedule 1 is almost obstructionist um, in, in a way, uh, politically, to doing research and trying to get it down. So it's, it turned into this political, like, do we keep it in the box? And if we let it out of the box, we can't put it back in the box. So do you think it's more likely to move to schedule two versus being like tobacco and alcohol? Um, I'm just curious. Yes,
3: absolutely. In fact, I think that was part of the sort of 2015, 2016 FDA reevaluation was that mindset that if, man, states are approving it, it's really growing. Um, What do we say as a federal government? Let's let's reevaluate it. And the caution was, Man, if we take it out of the box in Schedule One, you never get it back in, or you don't get it in easily. Um, So yes, I think logically uh, it'll move from Schedule One to Schedule Two. No, it won't be like alcohol or or tobacco where it's free will um, OTC available. But I think if you look at many of the states that have approved medical marijuana, they've used something that's analogous to what the federal government would. Uh, utilize in a Schedule II, meaning that there's got to be controls, approvals, and regulations. There's got to be guidelines. Um, And so I think there's there's analogies between what the states have already approved within their own uh, jurisdictions and sort of that concept of what Schedule II guidelines and federal laws coordinate in terms of refills, who can do it, who can't, who's authorized. Um, So I think there's a lot of Similarities, So, yes, I think the, the easy step would be going from a one to two. So, my
1: prediction is we we had Zach saying 25 years minimum. Minimum. We had Larry saying, since he's only like 21, <laughs> like <laughs> 70 years. Thank you, brother. 20, uh, 20, 20. Okay, so he's 20, probably 70 years because he said in his lifetime, so 70 years. I'm going to go out on a limb and say within the next 10. But only if we get radical politicians in office, meaning that this has nothing to do with science. This has, you were starting to allude to it, Larry. This has everything to do with money. I've been over here Googling, trying to find some stats, because I knew exactly what I was looking for. The money that we use for pain treatment, All right? So most likely, if people take marijuana or they want to use it for medicinal purpose nine times out of 10 for pain, right? 2014, we spent $17.8 billion on pain treatment drugs alone as a nation. That has rose significantly <laughs> by 10% every year into the fact that from 2014, 2017, it's risen 39%, right? So now you have these increased percentages of more and more prescription drugs being prescribed, more and more money being used. So it has everything to do with how can we tax, how can we benefit from this drug as it relates to the economy, as more so than the physiology of the pharmacology that or the research that we know goes into it. So I'm still gonna go back and say 10 years, only if we get some radical politicians in and they fit, figure out a way of How can we tax this drug to where it benefits us, not just from a science point of view, but from an economical standpoint? Because the economics at the end of the day, I'm sorry, this is not a political podcast, but the economics matter. It it matters at the end of the day. We have to have the Walgreens. We have to have the CVS. We have to have those things in order to make our economics and make our society go. So that's my answer. Just, I know, totally off the sleeve. Nobody might agree with it, but that's my answer. Larry's like, I hate I, you. No, I
3: think I, I'm trying to rec- recall the, the monetary uh, number I read in one reference uh, recently. I think if I recall it correctly, the estimates was um, $20 billion of revenue just within the um, marijuana uh, economy by 2022, I think it was. So just with no additional states and no additional marketing, that you know the economy is already seeing a huge impact from it. Um, I I think the other thing we really hadn't talked about is sort of the the public health impact. Um, we could spend four hours talking about that, but I think as it becomes more recreationally available and used, as more states move toward medical marijuana. I think society has to talk about how we deal with increasing substance use disorders that may develop with greater access from a recreational standpoint, I'm not talking about medical marijuana where it's monitored, prescribed, evaluated, adjudicated, and whatever. Um, But substance use disorder is a well-known diagnosable element. the, both the, the health care, uh, the public safety, automobile issues, the changes in cognition. Um, I mean, there, there have been studies already looking at the youth of America are now moving toward feeling that it's already okay and acceptable um, and legal because they're seeing it increase use. So if it's available, it must be safe. You know, the air go, if, if, if I can get it, it must be okay. Um, if I see others doing it, it must be okay. So I think there are huge public health risks that we should be cognizant of. I do not think that that should drive our limitation of its availability. I think it should, I think we should work collaboratively to help those that the conditions it can help, uh, but be cognizant from a recreational standpoint, there are ancillary impacts to public health um, that we have to not keep a blind eye to. Um, but stay on top of.
1: So do we know if there's been any type of research that's, let's say, for like a state like California where it's totally legal, right, uh, where they have actually looked at or has there been an increase in traffic accidents? Have there been an increase in uh, the amount of people who are addicted to drugs or increasing people admitted to drug rehabs for uh, marijuana purposes? I mean... And the reason why I state that is because you you definitely want to look at states like that that just have it free range as opposed to stricter states like Missouri. Um, Has there been any research or data populated on that?
3: Yes, on some of those elements. So there has been research uh, both in California and especially in Colorado and Washington um, looking at um, traffic accidents. And what's interesting is um, study methodology means a lot. So the data and the outcome you generate, all is derived from the methods that you use. So interestingly enough, um, post-approval in Colorado, um, auto accidents and fatalities associated with marijuana didn't go up right after approval. But nine months later after approval, then it did. And they also showed the same thing in Colorado and the state of Washington. But that's when looking in isolation over time. Please keep in mind that as we as a society get older, there's more and more people that our population goes up. Our driving number of vehicles on the road goes up. The number of miles we drive goes up. So there was an interesting study um, just a few years ago in the American Journal of Public Health that tried to standardize and compare not only the states that approved it, and see if the rates of automobile accidents and ER visits changed in those states, but benchmark them off states that didn't have legality and standardize that on um, population and miles driven. Because certainly if you're in a state where there's more people and more cars and more miles driven, there's greater chance of risk. Uh, And what they found was that compared to states that had approved marijuana, there was no increased risk compared to states that had not approved it. Now individually within individual states, their rates of automobile accidents over time went up. Um, And certainly within the states that approved marijuana compared to before they had it legally approved, the, the accident rates in the ER visits went up. So within individual states, frequencies of occurrences are still going up. But I found that study very interesting because it sort of benchmarked against states that hadn't approved it, but used sort of a standardizing metric of population and miles driven as a standardizer. Um, and when looking at those e- equalizing elements, there was no statistical difference. Uh, but certainly ER visits are going up um, because more and more people are using it. Um, so there there is a population risk
0: so for my prediction i'm kind of thinking along the public health line that there's going to be some incident that's going to be some sort of public health thing whether it's some sort of overdose or someone famous or something's going to happen involving marijuana that's going to cause it to then have to go to the national stage And at that point is when they're going to decide whether to legalize or not legalize and to regulate it. There's going to be something that happens that kicks it up to the federal level, and then that's when the decision is going to be made. Now, I don't know time frame when that's going to happen. I think as more states start to legalize it recreationally, that chance goes up. But um, I see the United States as being more reactionary than um, being more prophylactic, if you will, um, in their in their response to different issues, and so I I kind of see it being regulation
3: of marijuana on the national level being more reactionary um, than. Now, well, interestingly, I think that has been the case for medical marijuana, but for a positive, so there have been um, lots of um, presentations on Capitol Hill with individual patients that needed medical marijuana, and so there were particular events and case, um, case settings where it was used, where uh, it, it benefited medical marijuana and increased its likelihood of use. I think what you're talking about is sort of from a negative connotation that some bad event and it becomes in our ethos that we're aware of it and it gets uh, publicized and has a detrimental effect. I think that that case, but from a positive is how we've moved to increasing states having medical marijuana approved is that there's been more and more individual cases, very sad, troubling, debilitating cases of medical illnesses that have benefited or people who have done dramatic things like selling homes, changing jobs, moving states, and then finding, finally finding health benefits and treatment for a debilitating illness of a family loved one um, and so th- i think those those are present in our society but they're actually benefiting medical marijuana um at a slow pace but that, that's sort of how states have used that so it's been more of a positive than than a negative i think that's a really cool
0: way to look at it mm-hmm. um so not to take away from what we're talking about but i want to make sure we have time um, for this last segment of the show where mm-hmm. we get to test your knowledge on certain aspects of things and so I talked to both of you and I'm not quite certain if I picked the exact topics you told me, Larry, Um, but uh, I did pick (coughs) some topics for Zach based (coughs) off of uh, his uh, quasi-area of expertise, if you will. And again, air quotes. Uh, But we're going to start with you, Larry, uh, Dr. Seekers. So I have, so just some rules about this pop quiz. So this pop quiz isn't graded like a normal quiz. You don't just answer and you get it right or wrong. They're, they're, I'm kind of a wacko scorer, um, and I'm going to keep track of it over here, I promise, um, but I've got, I, you'll figure out the rules as we go. And so for Larry, I've come up with some questions, trivia, if you will, um, about Texas mm-hmm. and about Dr. Pepper. Uh, we were just talking about Dr. Pepper pre-show, uh, and for those of you that don't know, Larry is a huge fan of Dr. Pepper. I am. Uh, Not just Dr. Pepper, though.
1: No, it has to be Dr. Pepper with the real cane <laughs> sugar. From Texas. From Texas. Green can, red stripes.
0: That's exactly it. So, okay, let's start. Okay, so question one. uh, You may know that Dr. Pepper was the product of experimentation in a pharmacy. Who was the pharmacist that enjoyed experimenting with flavored syrups at the shop's soda fountain?
3: Man, I don't know, but it'd be cool if his name was Pepper.
0: It would be cool. And it'd be cool if his name was Larry Seegers. Yes, it would. Yeah, because <laughs> uh,
3: you'd be a rich I'd man. You be a beach in the Bahamas or something. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've heard this story, but I don't think I recall the name of the chemist inventor.
0: Okay, that's okay. His name was Charles Alderton. Do you know where his pharmacy was located?
3: Uh, was that in Dublin, Texas? In Central Texas? Yeah. I want it to be in Central Texas. Sweet.
0: Well, okay, so this is going to challenge my um, geography of Texas, but where is, so it was Waco, Texas. Is that okay. Central, Wa- Texas? Okay, Waco, Waco's <laughs> in Central. Okay. Dublin's
3: uh, about an hour away from there. Um, okay. Waco's right in the heart center, Texas, okay, north so of Boston. So. so since it's about an hour, I'm going to give you a point. That, I think, yeah, okay, give me a half a point because Now I recall Hold on, hold on, hold on hold hey, know, making a a a excuse,
1: excuse me, boss we, We're restricting your boss privileges on this podcast You're getting a point now Not a half okay, of a point okay.
0: Well, actually, I'm going to take away half a point Yeah, because he, because he
3: argued
1: How do you argue with giving a point? Zach, would you ever
2: you argue with it? fewer yeah. points? Yeah, like <laughs> up
3: my student mentality of arguing for points. Yeah, there you yeah go, you're there you doing go. it the wrong way. Oh, yeah, okay, you're definitely yeah. doing it I'm the wrong way. I'm usually arguing for the extra half point. Oh,
2: okay.
0: Not to
1: get the point taken away.
0: Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> when was Dr. Pepper introduced on the national stage? You can just make a guess as, as the year. Uh, 1849. Okay. Um, that's a little bit too in the past. Um, 1910. Jason's closer. It's actually 1904. Do you have any idea where it might have been introduced? It was was introduced at a place where they also introduced such things as hot dogs. Oh. Was it Texas State Fair? World's Fair? World's Fair. There you go. I'm giving you a point. It was at 1904 and the World's Fair in St. Louis. Okay. So when you drink Dr. Pepper, I'm sure you look at the can adoringly. I do. Um, You just love that design. Uh, I'm surprised you don't have a shirt that's that design. That would be awesome. It's in the closet. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Um, But, so this is important. I know you look at that can adoringly. Do you know, is there a period after the doctor in Dr. Pepper?
3: Oh, I thought you were talking about a period of time written on the can. Oh, no, 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 no.
0: So, like, like
3: you're you're Dr.
0: Seegers. There's a period after your doctor. I do not believe there is. Okay, that is correct. There is not a period there. Do you know when the period was removed?
1: Ooh.
0: I don't know. I 1956. I don't know. <laughs>
1: 1956.
0: Jason's close mm-hmm. over there. I said I wrote down the 1950s. So Man, I'm on fire today. I'm going to give you two points there because y- you called a friend there. You didn't know you were doing it, but no. you, cou- you okay. called a friend. Good. Okay, so now we're moving <laughs> on to Texas. So Texas is the only state in the U.S. to have the flags of six different nations fly over it. Ooh. Can you name them?
3: Oh. No, but when I go to Six Flags Over Texas, I go to all the parts of the country, so I should know this. Um, Mexico. Okay. There was a little bit of a war there. Uh, was it Spain?
0: Spain's one of them. France. <laughs> phone and a friend of ours. Phone, phone and a friend <laughs> says okay. France. Uh. Man. What's currently flying over it? United
3: States? Yep, that's what we're Yeah, Rome. you know, oh, okay. <laughs> I was thinking hey, of non-U.S. countries. There
0: are two more.
3: Um, I'm not going to guess Bolivia. Th- that, that would be a okay. not guess. Um, you can always remove one distractor from yeah. all test questions. I'll yeah. remove that one. Uh, um, <laughs> that's your 50-50 lifeline. Yeah. Even though it's not 50-50. Mexico, yeah. Spain, France. Uh, you'll have to help me out. Wasn't it like Haiti or something? No. It's not anyway. Haiti.
0: Uh, holy cow. Okay, so I'm going to give you four points there. The other two were the Republic of Texas. Texas was actually an independent ah. nation for a while. Yeah. That's why they fly the Texas flag equal to the American should. flag.
3: My my history teacher is going to not appreciate hearing this <laughs> podcast.
1: <laughs> i not either. I said Haiti. Yeah. And then, that, was, uh, that was real
0: bad. And then the Confederate states because it was a Confederate state. True. That's true state. So those are the two you missed. I was Kay. thinking of countries. Last question, and probably the most important one that you'll answer today. What is the official state mammal of Texas? Wow.
1: Oh, Larry, they might put you out of the state of Texas if you don't answer this one correctly. You might be banned.
0: Armadillo? It is the armadillo. That is amazing. <laughs> well done. And well he even done. pronounced it like a Texan would. Yeah. So I'm gonna give him a bonus point there. Well done. All right, so now we're gonna move on to you, Zach. So for your so for total, um, Larry had over there. We have one. And oh, a half, this is a competition. Yeah. Yeah. One and a half, three and a half, um, seven and a half, nine and a half points total. So let's wow. see. If, let's
2: All see right. if Zach can beat. I've that. been studying.
1: Well, you've been studying, but he got like every letter of the alphabet except Q and Z. That's true. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> like good
1: luck with that, Zach. You just got B.S. I'm gonna need it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I got MS. M.S. Come on now.
0: All right. Okay. So, uh, um, Zach's, Zach's topic is the Office, the show, the Office trivia. So, according to Prison Mike, what is the worst thing about prison?
2: Oh, come on, man. That's easy. God, I can see him dancing around at the front of the conference room. That blue with bandana. The blue bandana on, on his head. The food? I was no, say the nope, food. not no. the food. It's you can't go home.
0: No, nope, it's the Dementors.
2: Yeah, that's right. It's the Dementors. The so dementors. I can't voice. give you a
0: point there. Sorry. Dang, but it's but it's you were you were doing some dang, good visualization. Dang. you yeah. st- you starting off in the hole. So, yeah, so I appreciate right? that's that. That's a long way to dig At least up. I'm not arguing yeah. for less points. <laughs> 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 that, is <true>. that, <laughs> that is true. That is true. That's <laughs> very true. That is <laughs> true. Okay. So what is the name of the company Ryan? Not me. But Ryan in the show. Sets up that sends messages to all your devices at once. What's the name of it? Woof. Okay. Awesome. I'm gonna give you two points because you answered that super quickly. How do you spell it?
2: Um W H O P F. It
0: is an odd spelling and you did get some of the letters right, so I'm gonna give you The W I was just I was just just reading reading Doctor Seeger's Letters after
2: name. Oh, you were (laughs) man. Man, (laughs) rearrange them and it spells wolf.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we can get a wolf out of there. It's actually spelled W U P H F. So they had to, they had to make sure that you knew the F sound. W U P H F. So you were close. I knew there was an H in there somewhere. So how many points did he get? So he got two for answering that really quickly, and then I don't know. I'm going to give him point two points. He didn't. He, he didn't even did give you a, Dang, a half. He gave you four of two. the
2: five letters. Man,
0: hey, 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 be careful over there. <laughs> 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 I've, I've got this black marker. <laughs> At
1: least it's um, not red. <laughs> that's
0: true. All right. Question three. According to Dwight, nostalgia is one of the greatest human weaknesses. Second only to what? Just enter into Dwight's
1: head. Yeah, man. Maybe you should have picked another category. An intense maybe.
0: question. These are tough questions.
2: Like I thought you were an
1: expert in the office.
2: I did too. Shh.
3: Clearly not. <laughs> Can we go back to medical marijuana? <laughs> <laughs> are you smarter than a she he? Actually, this is a patient presentation of a decreased cognitive ability. Yeah. <laughs> are you insinuating that uh, Zach trial.
1: had an edible before the podcast? <laughs>
0: Either confirmed or denied. That's
2: right.
0: Um, I'll give you a hint. Kay. It's a body part.
2: I want to go with the obvious, but I
1: man, just guess a body part. You're an anatomy fellow. Pick one of them. You got 650 right, go muscles. Two hundred
0: groin. Yeah. A little bit further north. It's the neck. Mm-hmm. The Kay. neck. Yes. But you really struggle with that one, and I felt bad for you, so I'm going to give you the other .8 of that other point. Oh, (laughs) good. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks thanks (laughs) for your pity. Yeah, (laughs) there's some sympathy points there. (laughs) Okay, so this is going to be a hard one, and this is another opportunity for multiple points, okay? okay? If you make me feel good about your answer. Okay, that's part of this. Wow.
2: Okay, That's a great choice of words.
0: So – what is the full name of the race Michael sets up to help Meredith when she gets rabies after being bit by a bat in the office? And he's just leaned back with his
3: hands on his head. You remember the episode or something?
0: Yo, I know exactly what it's – I don't uh, – there's like 18 words in it. Just, just start naming them, and I'll, and I'll circle them over here. Um,
2: Meredith Palmer – Drawing a blank now, this pressure. Meredith Palmer, charity. Charity is not one of the words.
1: Don't don't you want to put race in there? Yeah, it's at the end though. Yeah, but she he's race, fine.
2: I'll say race. (laughs) Um You got Mr. Obvious over there helping. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) Haiti. Well (laughs) (laughs) At least At least I can answer questions right, like I I helped. Fun run. (laughs) for the cure Meredith
0: Palmer All right, rabies, oh. rabies. Okay, rabies was in there. The name of the race is Michael Scott's Dunder Mifflin Scranton Meredith Palmer Memorial Celebrity Rabies Awareness Pro Am Fun Run Race for the Cure. <laughs> yep. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that was on one banner? Yeah, yeah. one banner. And they actually printed t shirts too. Yeah. Oh my God. those blue t shirts.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to give you some points here. So.
2: And he carbloaded loaded with that chicken so Alfredo. I'm going to give you, let's see here. Mega. Five
0: points. So that puts you at eight. Eight. Larry had 9.5. So let's see. Wh- so there's some pressure riding this last one there here. There is. Before popping Dwight's exercise ball, desk chair, or fitness orb, Jim first asks Dwight how much it cost. How much did Dwight say his exercise ball, desk chair, or fitness orb cost? Can you picture it? $20. All right. Oh, it's $25. Oh, that's <laughs> close. Inflation <laughs> from when the show yeah, and yeah. now. Oh yeah. All right, so, so Larry is the winner by 0. .5 points. Um, so, But thank you for participating. That was, that was awesome. Yeah. Good yes. question. Yeah. Tough question.
2: You had an
1: edible before you came I in here, Dean. Yeah,
2: apparently. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, true, true story before we go. When I was teaching at another institution, I kid you not, we used to put out our lectures ahead of time. So I lectured on the endocannabinoid system, and, like, the last ten slides had to do with marijuana. I later learned after the lecture, I was like, why are these people in here laughing? And then they got quiet and they were laughing again. I was like, I never said anything. Turns out that five minutes before the class, somebody had cooked brownies, laced them with marijuana, and they felt like it was a great idea to lecture or or to listen to a lecture about marijuana in the brain while being high. I was like, are you serious? They told me this during their graduation. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, "Well, that was the appropriate time to tell me after you have after. your degree yeah. in hand." But I was like, "Who came up with this? This is crazy."
0: Yeah, that I thought maybe you were gonna tell me they just had a pan of brownies there that they just thought that they were like, no. so they were yeah the real they, deal. Yeah. Did they try to
2: feed you any of the brownies?
0: They
1: actually did. Somebody yeah. actually did say, "Hey, Dr. Walker, we brought you something." I was like, "Don't worry about it. I'm, I'm I don't like people's brownies like that." So luckily, I didn't partake. Well, as we wrap up, are
0: there any last words from our guests today about about stuff? Anything you want to throw out there?
2: Um, I, I think just going forward with going back to the medical marijuana stuff, it's there's there's so many roadblocks to doing research that there's still so much that needs to be done. Um, I mean, there's plenty of research out there that supports the treatment of chemo-induced nausea and vomiting, epilepsy, chronic pain, um, that, that marijuana can treat that in one way or another, but every single research article that I've read has some sort of limitation or future research suggestion of looking up dosaging uh, how often to take it, because that, that's going to be a major component when it gets legalized for the entire public health arena of marijuana. So, th- a lot more research has to be
3: conducted on the topic. Um, and, yeah. Oh, and I'll springboard off that because I, I agree with that. I think there is no substance or compound on the planet that doesn't have its risks and benefits. I think with research, we will learn more about what those benefits and their associated risks might be as it relates to marijuana or the compounds that are within it. Um, I look forward to the day that physicians feel empowered and educated that as patients come to them and ask questions, whether it be about diabetes, hypertension, or marijuana or any compounds that are derived from it, that they feel, um, empowered to be able to address those um, in an educated fashion to the benefit of the patients.
0: Jason?
1: Well, I just want to take the time to thank both of you for coming in, you know, giving our, our audience this, this knowledge that some people may have, but I'm pretty sure the majority of people didn't have, and just a conversation. I mean, as usual, uh, Ryan and I have phenomenal time doing this podcast, and we're very— Methodical and intentional about who we invite on the show because we want to keep it a good show. We want people to be entertained, but y'all really dropped a bunch of knowledge today. Zach, yeah, you really did. You know, great job on the the data that you brought forth, uh, the research, and also you know a continued effort as you push through on your medical school journey. Uh, the boss, the certified boss, Doctor A B C D E F G H I J K. Yeah, Seegers. All but Q and Z. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you for your knowledge, your wealth of knowledge as well. It's It's just always great to have great people on this podcast.
3: Well, it's awesome to finally be able to come up here to the penthouse suite and see your cool digs that you've got. In the studio, yeah. I mean, we got a pool over there. Yeah, um, we we got we got this lady in the sound box
0: back there that's kind of well, helping us, right? On, so. yeah. yeah. Cakes in the corner over this there. This is official, yeah. real deal, yeah,
3: <laughs> studio oh, right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: we, yeah we, we got it all. I mean, hey, y'all have to keep this a secret. You can't tell everybody about the digs that we have.
3: <laughs> well, that th- that is true.
2: Well, thank you guys as well because I know I I talked with you know, each one of you early on in the in the school year about wanting to do a a lecture on medical marijuana and didn't have the opportunity so I appreciate you inviting me on here to let me at least convey this knowledge a little bit and talk about it It's I think it's a very interesting fun topic to talk about
0: yeah no, I know I've learned a lot and I know that our audience will has learned a lot as well um, so with that I'll kind of wrap up the show uh, you can now subscribe to the show wherever you find podcasts yes finally uh, we are on iTunes uh, Spotify Google Podcasts and really wherever else you might get your podcast just Google behind the white coat Um, We also have an email and a Twitter account. Uh, You can send questions to the show at btwc.kcu at gmail.com. If you have questions for Jason and I or if you have questions for uh, Larry or Zach, feel free to email uh, that email and we'll pass them along and talk about them on future episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter where you'll find the links to the show and uh, information about uh, postings of new episodes. Our our Twitter handle is at btwc.kcu. Uh, so, again, that's where you'll find the links to the show. So thanks again to our guests, uh, and thank you very much for listening. This, this has been a blast. So we'll talk to you later. See you.